Hey, it's Andrew. Just quickly before we start this episode, I want to tell you about one of my favorite podcasts, the Secure Ventures Podcast. The host, Kyle McNulty, interviews cybersecurity founders about what they are building. I enjoy it because Kyle focuses on their technology, what it solves, why they build it, where it fits in the market. Also, listeners can understand the why of these startups. In some ways, it's a great compliment to my own podcast, where I focus on the go-to-market side, not on the technology side. He's had some great guests on recently, for example, the CEO of Reality Defender, when they talked about the ins and outs of deep fate detection. Uh, he's had the co-founder and CEO of Ghost Security, and also the co-founder of Radical, Chris Peterson, who was incidentally a founder of Logarithm, where they talk about the role of AI in the SOC. This is not a paid promotion. I just simply enjoy what Kyle is doing with his interviews and get a lot out of them. Check it out. It's the Secure Ventures podcast. Now on with this episode. Welcome to episode 109 of the Sales Bluebird podcast, which exists because at B2B startups, it's hard to get go-to-market fit, grow revenue, and scale the sales team. Sales Bluebird provides tips, tricks, experiences, examples, inspiration, and ideas from people who've been doing this for many years and working with many companies. So that we want your path to go to market fit and beyond to be less rocky and so that you can grow sales faster. I am your host, Andrew Monaghan, and our guest today is Amit Karp, a partner at the legendary venture capital firm Bessemer Venture Partners. Amit, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. Uh, it took me 109 episodes to get on. <laughs> well, timing is everything, Amit. Timing is everything. And <laughs> okay. you know, Bessemer released a mini report, right, two or three weeks ago that kind of spiked my interest. And uh, we'll get into that in a second. But before we do that, call out to our listeners. I, I want to hear from people listening about what's top of mind for everyone right now. There must be things that are burning a, a hole in your brain. You're trying to figure out. How do we get from this stage to that stage? How do we improve this? How do we uh, get from our Series A to Series B and what needs to be done to execute in the sales team to get there? Whatever it might be, uh, I'm open to these questions coming in and we can answer them on future podcast episodes. Send them directly to me at andrew at unstoppable.do. That's unstoppable.do, do at the end, not com. And, or you can message me by video or audio directly at zipmessage.com forward slash unstoppable. Um, so Amit, there, there's no better way to get to know you personally before we get into the business side than by asking you six very straightforward questions. And these are ones that are either ors, they're not up for debate, there's not maybes and perhapses and depends, looking for pretty quick answers as, as you hear what these questions are. Are you ready for these? Yeah, sure, shoot. Go ahead. First one. First one, dive bar or cocktail bar? Cocktail bar. Suite of the Four Seasons or Cabin in the Woods? Cabin in the Woods, for sure. Trick-tight Jeep or German car with all the gadgets? German car. Okay. Beach or mountains? Beach. They say that home is where the heart is. Where is home for you? Home is Israel. Home is Tel Aviv, for sure. Tel Aviv? Yeah. Okay. And how did you first make money as a kid? Did you have any hustles or your, your first job? I was a magician. So as a kid, as a teenager, I did uh, magic tricks and then birthday parties. 
that was the how I started making money. Were you good? Uh, good enough for second graders, I assume, or <laughs> third graders. So, <laughs> I hope I'm better as a VC than as a magician. <laughs> you know, it's funny here in Colorado. Uh, a guy that used to be the state CISO here is he's on the site. He's a magician as well. And uh, he'll actually put on little shows hmm. uh, in local places for to show off his, his skills. And he's pretty good. It's, it's cool to see. Nice. Maybe when I retire one day, I'll, I'll come back to it. Yeah. Start and end my career. Yeah. It's the first <laughs> time I've had that from someone. Usually they say paper rut or uh, mowing lawns or things like that. But magician, that's awesome. So let, let's switch over to, to business. I mean, your background, let me quickly summarize what I what I saw is that you spent a little bit of time at, was it Bain? No, it wasn't Bain. Where, which consulting firm was it? McKinsey, McKinsey, McKinsey and Company. So you spent a little yeah. bit of McKinsey and then you joined Bessemer a few years back and you've been part of their Israel office for, for since 2016 or so. Is that right? This is so I'll run very quickly from my background, so not, not, not to bore anyone. But but I, I was an officer in the ground unit for for the Air Force, and then once I uh, went once I finished the military service, I went to study computer science at Technion, uh, worked as a developer, and then a product manager in a startup. Uh, we got acquired by Omniture. I moved to do an MBA at MIT, and then joined McKinsey for a while in, in New York. And in 2012, so now exactly ten years ago, joined Bessemer in, in New York at the time, and then about seven years ago. Uh, we decided to, we want to move uh, my wife and I and, and and our daughters that were very young at the time decided to move back uh, to Israel. And uh, since the past seven years, I've been uh, here focusing mainly on kind of cyber infrastructure investments. And which companies right now are you on the board of or your prime investments you're looking after? Uh, many. So on the board of Axonius, which just announced uh, a large round recently, uh, on the board of Torque, which is kind of the next generation SOAR. Firebolt in the kind of the, uh, cloud data warehouse, Autonomo in the connected car space, uh, Zoom in and then B2B SaaS, many, many more. I'm not going to walk through by that. More. Yeah, 10 or 11 boards at this point. Well, this kind of brings me to my first question, which is uh, it seems to me in the last few years, and I don't know, five mm-hmm. years, maybe 10 years, there has been an unprecedented amount of high quality cyber startups coming out of Israel. And, you know, I think we've all, or most of us will have heard about the connection back to 8200, um, which, you know, for me is the equivalent of the NSA or GCHQ, but for the Israeli uh, forces. Um, is, is that really the, what's going on or is there more to it than that? Is there something, something in the water in Tel Aviv <laughs> that is causing all these really good cyber startups to come to the fore? Yeah, it's a good question, and I, I I think that's definitely a major piece of that. Eighty two hundred, and for those who don't know, it's kind of the equivalent of NSA in the Israeli army or in the Israeli in the IDF. But the difference is that in the Israeli army, like everybody goes to the army. So basically, like think about like if you're recruiting employees, and every year you have like the entire country go through the process. And you can kind of pick an A two hundred is that out there, and it can just pick the kind of the bright and the kind of the brightest of them all, and, and bring them into one unit. So like every year they have a crop of like the top smartest eighteen year olds, and they kind of bring them in, in into A two hundred. And the average age at A two hundred is like twenty three. These are like 
young kid, but the problems that they're dealing with and, and the kind of things they're doing is just insane. And, and the mentality they've been able to kind of build there in terms of kind of a can-do attitude, like trying new things. And a lot of it is just like a naivety of, of these like young kids that I think can do everything just creates magic. And, and then what happens is six years later, many of these people, they just leave the, 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 the army, just retire, you know, they just, they just finish their kind of military service. Uh, and at that point, they just have a huge know-how in terms of like cyber, big data, AI, and, and all these things. And they have a very strong network oftentimes because of other people who kind of served with them for, for six years. Like think about like, you know, like, like they, like, you know, from morning till night, like every day, all the time, which just creates like a very, very strong, uh, typically kind of network. And many of them just go and either launch startups or join startups and then later join startups. It's kind of a very, it's, it's a very common path. Uh, and that created a lot of the kind of the cyber basically industry here in Israel. And many of the people come from 8200. But it's not only that. It, it, it's, it's At this point, it's more than that. And by the way, I was surprised and I just looked recently. And now it's, it's almost, I think, like 30% of, of global funding for, for cybersecurity are Israeli startups. So, you know, this tiny country with 8 million people drives 30% of global. This is not just the US, it's like, no, globally uh, of funding and, and 40% of, of cyber unicorns are Israeli at this point. So if you look at kind of the entire cyber unicorn universe in the world, 40% of them would be Israeli companies. And, and, and what's driving that, it starts with that 8200, but like the 8200 is, you know, it, it's kind of a necessity, but it, it doesn't get you all the way there. And, and I think what happened with cyber is that there, there's now almost like a path because you have role models. I look at the kind of the, if we take it you know one step back so roll back like seven years ago many of these like people that go out of the army and in israel still there were like many cyber startups in israel seven years ago but they were all kind of building technology then selling them through like ciso selling them through cisco or, or selling for like ibm or like one of these channels and, and most of the time they got acquired like by ibm or by microsoft or one of these for like a hundred million dollars 200 million dollars that was kind of like the typical kind of scenario for for a cyber company and, and then what happened is in the past seven Seven years, we started seeing companies go directly, sell directly to CISOs, build large sales team in the US, scale sales team, kind of build larger companies in Israel, don't not sell early, start building independent companies. And what happens now is there's kind of a role models for these young entrepreneurs who are launching cybersecurity companies because they see others that have built companies that are now worth a billion or 10 billion, if you look at Sentinel One and others, and they obviously want to imitate them and they want to they kind of dream bigger. And, and there's more funding that comes to these companies because people realize there is more, the opportunity is much larger than it used to be, including us, for example, as Bessemer, we're a very large fund. We, we have discussed Bessemer, we, we manage, uh, we now work out of our 11th fund. It's a $3.3 billion fund. And historically, cyber was like nice, but it was difficult to return a large fund because these acquisitions were, were small. And, and now as these companies think bigger, like we're investing much more in cyber and, and like us, many other VCs. So there's kind of like a snowball effect here of like better founders. There's a kind of a more natural path. They all speak to each other. They, they know each other. It's a very right. close community. The, the Israeli cybersecurity, like all these founders know each other. They're all, all talking to each other, all giving each other kind of uh, guidance all the time, more funding. And then what happened is at, at some point, Israel became kind of known for cyber or more known even than it used to be. And at this point, you're starting having CISOs coming over to Israel to meet companies, which kind of feeds itself. And, and that snowball effect kind of feeds itself more and more. Hence, you're just seeing better and better and larger and larger uh, cyber companies here, if that makes sense. Yeah, it seems like then that they've, you know, it's really found its feet, right? It's going from early, early beginnings and trying new things, and suddenly the model 
rose up and now everyone's on the same similar path, right? About how they want to go to market and how they want to launch in different parts of the world. Yeah. Uh, really cool to see these companies come through. I'm wondering what advice you give to these companies when they are trying to build a team in the U.S., when they are trying to you know, break out. How do you, how do you advise them to go about doing that? Yeah, it, it, it's a good question. And there's no like one size fits all. Because we have companies in, in, in cyber that are kind of more targeting larger enterprises when you like you really need like a large sales force in, in, in the U.S., which for typically helps when, when the CEO or the management team at some point kind of relocates to the U.S. to help kind of build that go-to-market motion. And, and then we have others which are selling kind of like more mid-market, more over the internet. At that point, like you don't have to move to the U.S. So some of the CEOs stay here in Israel. And they kind of build a management team either here in Israel or, or, or some of the go-to-market team period either in Israel or in the U.S. Uh, but these playbooks have become more common. And the other thing that many people don't notice, but if you kind of look at many of these Israeli startups, the people they bring or they hire as their kind of sales leaders or marketing leaders are people who worked in Israeli companies before. So it's kind of like a network. So Twistlock, they got acquired by Palo Alto. Now you see like their previous VP sales working for another cyber company that's Israeli and their VP marketing working for another mm-hmm. Israeli company that's it's public. And same thing with uh, Adalom. And it's just like, it's not just a network of the Israelis. It's also kind of the same network now with the, with the executives that work with these companies because they're kind of, they know how to work with these companies. They know the pros and the cons of working with Israelis. And it's also a network, so it's easier to reach them oftentimes. Yeah. So that's kind of built too. Remember, uh, I was chatting to Mike Baker, who's the CRO over at No Name. And I was asking him about that because he was, he, he was the first sales leader at Armis. And then he went, mm-hmm. he went to No Name. So two Israeli companies in a row. And, uh, he was saying you know, he loves the culture and that it's so it's so focused on delivering and delivering fast. And he said, you know, whereas you might be used to working with teams over here where new features get delivered in in months or quarters, you know, what tends to come out of the teams over in Israel is that is features delivered in in a couple of sprints. And just the the unbelievable unbelievable nature of the culture to just drive forward is what energizes him when he's working with uh, these teams. Yeah, that's very, very true. There's a very, like the mentality is very like can-do mentality. Like there's no technical problem that can be solved. And I have a company, it's, I'm not going to say the, the, the customer name, but the, like they got a really large customer and, and early on. And then they realized they don't have like half of the things that the customer needs. And it's like tomorrow and they need to deploy it. And like one of the co-founders like said like all night and like he just like somehow hacked like all these things that they're going to kind of work. And then, like that mentality, like you, you typically don't have it in, in many companies outside of the U.S. The fact that, like you know, that there is no, like, there is no such thing as like impossible. Like, they don't believe in the world impossible. And, and there's like very much of a kind of a delivery mindset. People are very straightforward. Like they're not gonna know. There's like no fluff, no bullshit. Like you know, immediately to the point, uh, which has a lot of benefits. But obviously, you need to kind of. It, it's good for everyone, but there's always it's not for everyone. It's not right? for everyone exactly. Like you need to learn how to work with it and how to cope yeah. with it because people are going to be very direct they're going to tell you immediately like you, you'll hear you know like in yeah. uh, a meeting with like 10 people with israelis it's always going to seem like you know like an argument <laughs> yeah. but it's, it's, not, it's not an argument like that's how they talk to each other like you know people cut each other off all the time or we're going to kind of 
no, that's kind of the way. But when it works, it, it's like it, it works really well. Yeah, one of my clients, their CEO does. A, I heard him do a little fifteen minutes on, you know, the culture and and how how as he said how we communicate and what it really means, not what you think it means, and and things like that. So it's really good for the U.S. go to market team to kind of hear from him about you know, translate that culture to what they're used to so they can understand what's really going on. It was it was really useful to hear that. Yeah, and by the way, the Israelis often need the opposite. Like, you know, like I have people where you see CEOs who like, they, you know, they meet like a CISO and they'll hear like that, that's really interesting. And, and they think the interesting would be like, wow, this is great. He said, it's interesting. Like, like the interesting would be like, you know, this is not interesting. <laughs> it was interesting was like, it's exciting, you know. like So like that part, like, you know, the, you need kind of the translation back, uh, to, to Hebrew. I love that. I love that. All right. So in your, in the Bessemer report that came out recently, there was three areas that, that you highlighted as, I think the, the focus really was where you as a company, you as a team are looking to direct investment. You're trying to write or, or create these trends. The first one was, I'll read out the headline. I'll let you kind of expand. Security spend will move to the forefront for businesses in all sectors. And I think they kind of, the, the unsaid thing there was uh, that uh, it's been very concentrated so far, cloud, highly regulated industries, but you see that going horizontal into different verticals. Is that right? Yeah, that, that's right. And just even before I go into that, like the other thing that's really interesting with cyber in general, by the way, and as we look at startups, it used to be, we released that, we had a kind of, top 10 cybersecurity companies like index that we were like public cyber only companies and we first released in 2016 that list and at the time the total market cap was 75 billion for these companies but what more interesting to that the companies there were like checkpoint palo alto networks semantic obviously splunk uh proofpoint imperva cyberarc etc and, and the companies in 2016 if you look at that kind of like top 10 public independent companies they were all kind of Founded it either in the '90s or like at most, for most, you know, at most like at early 2000. So what it meant is that the leading cyber companies were kind of like really established, old school, if I can say, companies, and it was very difficult for a new cyber startup to become a market leader um, because you had to at some point get acquired by Palo Alto or, or Splunk or, or one of the like because you just couldn't like get to market fast enough. Uh, and if you look at the list that we did uh, last year, 2021, obviously the, the market cap uh, quadrupled uh, for the top 10 uh, companies. But, but even more interesting than that, six of the top 10 companies are companies were founded in the past decades. So that's like CrowdStrike, Okta, Zscaler, Cloudflare, uh, and others, which means that for the first time ever, there's an opportunity for cyber startups to not get acquired along the way, but really build independent companies and category-defining companies, which makes it really, really interesting. And, and, and that kind of touches the what, what I'm going to talk now about kind of the cyber spend moving to the forefront of, of kind of all business sectors. Because uh, if you look at all the cybersecurity spend, obviously it's, it's a massive market, over $150 billion annual spend. And it, it accounts about for about like 6% of IT spend. And it, it, it is growing versus kind of the IT spend, but it's still kind of typically around 6% uh, spend. But what historically you've seen is for, for some sectors like software and internet, obviously financial services and others, the, the spend for, for, uh, for cyber was much higher. And other industries were kind of, you know, they didn't, not like they didn't care about cyber, but it was like much less of an issue. And here, like think retail, think healthcare, 
think uh, chemicals in, in industrial manufacturing, etc. Because some of them were just either not connected uh, to the internet or or the you know, they, they never thought about cyber as something that's going to be relevant for them. And, and what we're seeing now, and, and this is just a, kind of the tip of the iceberg, just like starting, you know, it's going to obviously grow more and more. You're starting to see attacks on healthcare systems. Uh, you're starting to see hospitals suddenly getting uh, attacked. Uh, and we had something here in Israel uh, uh, last year. Uh, you're starting to see, obviously, chemical uh, plants and kind of real industrial engineering and industrial manufacturing plants kind of get attacked. And, and, and suddenly, because for the first time, they're connected. And you had, obviously, the kind of the, the time the JBS ransomware, which kind of wiped out fifth of the U.S. beef right. capacity in one day. Uh, and, and you're going to see more and more of these, especially obviously now with kind of the climate in Russia and Ukraine, uh, which means that cyber is now becoming a dominant factor. And obviously for the large financial services, it's becoming even more dominant than it ever was. But there are many different industries or different uh, areas that were way behind. They're still mostly behind, but they're kind of running quickly now as they realize that they just have to to build that cybersecurity poster. And then it's not just the industries. The other thing is kind of, if you look at the kind of the market, it used to be that cyber was important again for Fortune 500 or for kind of large enterprises. And now you're seeing these kind of mid-market companies and now even like the SMBs realize that, wow, like they're going to get hacked as well. And you see some attacks kind of, you know, shut down like, you know, businesses, small businesses uh, at a very large scale. So, so now they have to find uh, solutions, and again, they're not going to buy all kind of all the crowd strikes and 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 uh, and, 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 and uh, kind of the, the Palo Alto of the world. Like they need something simple. So there's kind of an entire market of like kind of the mid market, smaller kind of companies, SMBs that's underserved today, and they're looking for solutions. And then mm-hmm. the other kind of area that I'm also interested in is more in the consumer side. Uh, because as consumers, again, people didn't even think, you know, you had your antivirus or whatever on, on your laptop, um, but that was it for, in terms of like cyber. And, and now you're seeing more identity theft uh, as people started holding crypto. Then obviously like that becomes like a, a much more interesting target than the, the used to, you know, getting to your Coinbase account, uh, getting to your Bank of America account, etc. cetera. Uh, your Gmail now, if, if someone hacks through your Gmail, like basically like, you know, they have access to this point like for your entire life. Uh, so I, I'm sure we're going to see more and more companies that help solve that problem too, kind of the consumer side of uh, of cyber. So it basically means that all the areas, categories, markets that kind of didn't think cyber first are going to start thinking cyber or it's going to be a much more larger factor in kind of their day-to-day. Yeah, I think in the what I see on the SMB side is they are becoming more aware, but they're also getting a lot of uh, passed down requests from their business partners and their you know, vendors they work with. And, you know, there's a whole ecosystem. Data is passed around so much now between companies that uh, you can't just send data to a company and not have some expectations of them to look after it. And, you know, a hundred person company suddenly has to be very diligent about how they look after the data of the Fortune 200, 500 they're working with. Um, yeah, exactly. And, and the SOC 2 and kind of all the compliance issues and, and kind of the supply chain attacks, which have now become a, uh, one of the easiest routes to go into these like large enterprises through their supply chain, which forces many companies that never thought about cyber as something that they care about. Going back to your, your comment about the go-to-market differentiation from people going after enterprises versus SMB, you know, one of the things that we see in the in North America is there really isn't 
the the set way to go after SMB, right? There's, there's, there's the go after CISOs of Fortune 500,000, whatever it might be. But it seems a much bigger challenge to say, well, how do you reach all those sub 250 employee companies? You can't go to them with a, with a sales force, right? You have to rely on partners, but partners aren't great at making markets. What, what, what have you seen with your companies about how they've tackled that? Yeah, it, it can be the, the obviously the sales force. You can sell, you, know, you can send people to play golf. There's no, not even a CISO, like someone who manages IT at the a shop of like 500 people and, and the channels is nice but it's difficult it's take, you, you can't build a company on channels because it could take years until you, you reach your market but we are seeing more and more companies with kind of going with kind of a product-led uh, growth motion kind of a plg when it, it, it starts with a product so it, it you build a product that's much more intuitive much more self-serve you can kind of you know go to website try it or install it deploy it sometimes you would have to speak to someone in order to kind of to make the the, the 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 purchase like there is a sales involved in it but it's more around kind of like pricing or, or, or things like that or kind of some features but you understand the product just by by kind of playing with it uh, and installing yourself so it starts with kind of the, the product and, and then it's kind of the similar marketing and then sales is kind of tied and comes last but if you start with sales it's, it would never work like that would be kind of the last piece of that kind of uh, puzzle yeah way too expensive to do that way around right the second thing that was on your your list was cloud security and i forget the exact stats but i want to say in 2021 cloud security as a category commanded the most investment dollars the most funding dollars um in cyber is is that right and and how are you guys viewing that market yeah so, so Cloud security is by far the kind of the, the, the largest growing. It's still not the the biggest, but it has the fastest growth out of any category with a forty one percent Kager, uh, according to to Kartner. So just growing faster than any other category. And, and what we're seeing basically is if you're kind of looking, and I'm simplifying here things a bit, but if you can look at kind of the old way of or the on prem world and, and all the categories that exist you're starting to see kind of equivalents of each one of these categories in kind of a cloud first company or cloud first security company. So, you know, whether it's got network, you had like Checkpoint, now you're seeing kind of Zscaler and Kato or, or, or the identity management with SailPoint. Now you're seeing companies doing this identity management for, for cloud or, or kind of the same. You see, you had like Splunk. Now you have companies like Devo in our portfolio or Hunters that kind of uses, you know, it sits on top of, of Snowflake. And then kind of separates the snowflake would be where you keep the logs and hunters would kind of provide the same functionality or data security with Veronis. And now we're seeing uh, a few companies kind of doing kind of the same thing for cloud first. We have a company called Centra that's kind of in the data security posture management. WAF, you know, Imperva, now no name we mentioned before in Salt, kind of going into APIs first. Uh, and then just obviously the CSPM, kind of a more kind of a catch-all phrase by kind of replacing the Tenables and the Palo Altos and kind of the and, and, and the Qualys and all these kind of snippers or, 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 or agents with uh, Wiz and Orca and Lacework. Uh, so basically each one of these categories are getting kind of redefined with uh, kind of new entrants and obviously kind of, you know, Palo Alto with Prisma and others kind of the regular, kind of the, the, the heavy players or the, the traditional players or the incumbents are also kind of trying quickly to evolve and provide solutions for this industry. And, and what we're seeing, which is really interesting, is like in each one, again, there, there's a multiple of categories, CWPP, which is kind of the workflow protection, you know, Aqua and, and, uh, and Stackrocks and, and Twistlock, kind of, uh, you know, checking your, your containers. And, and then the companies that are more kind of on the left side, uh, so kind of managing your CI CD and securing your CI CD, 
we have a company called Legit that helps with that. Like that touches cloud too, kind of, you know, pre-production and post-production. So there's a lot of overlap between these different things. And, and you see companies coming in from different angles. Over time, we're going to see way more consolidation. Obviously, there you're not going to have uh, a different solution for each one of these like small categories. But there is now a race towards building kind of almost like the new or replacing all the or, or many of these traditional vendors with new companies that are kind of cloud first. So we think there's huge opportunities there. Obviously, if you fast forward 20 years from now and, and I'd ask you, you don't have to be like very visionary to think that probably cloud security 20 years from now is going to be more important than what today is like kind of the traditional network and point security. Is that why there's such a, a flow in, it seems that like the dollars are concentrated in, in a small number of companies. You see some of the, the runs that were taken last year and the valuations of companies that the ARR isn't that big, but yet they're commanding three, four billion dollar valuations and taking five hundred million dollars. Is that is that why they're 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 trying to grab the market and therefore be the player that's going to be in place for five, ten years? Yeah, that, that, that's exactly a story there. Like, there, there's kind of a land grab at this point. You know, think about this is like kind of the, the kind of the Wild West days. Like, there's like you know, there's the gold somewhere, and everybody's rushing to, and everybody's trying to get as most gold as possible. And you're already starting to see that consolidation with companies acquiring others. So, like you know, Aqua, which is container security, acquiring a CI/CD company. Wiz, obviously, kind of coming in with CSPM, and then now saying they're going to secure everything that's that's on the cloud. So, so people realize, and, and what happens is investors are making these large bets in the space with, with these companies that are early, uh, no name or, or salt that raised kind of unicorn rounds early on, or mm-hmm. kind of the same thing with the raise a $6 billion valuation two years after being uh, founded or launched. And, and Lacework that raised $1.3 billion, again, not a $1.3 billion valuation, but raised literally like $1.3 billion uh, to compete in that CSPM world. So there's kind of a bloodbath there. Uh, and, and what we're seeing, and, and the reason is that everybody realizes it's going to be the, the prize is very lucrative for whoever wins yeah. these games, and, and they're all kind of kind of armor their companies with, with more and more cash. And I do think that we were going to see like many casualties there. So, so not all these companies that raise that unicorn valuation, especially in this area, are going to survive. It's almost like a poker game when like, you know, someone goes all in and then all the rest are forced to either go all in or just fold. Uh, but there's only like one winner or like you're not going to have you know, multiple, maybe there's going to be like a few leaders in, in kind of cloud security, but there's not going to be like 50 uh, independent companies. And, and there are like yeah. 50 cyber unicorns for cloud, give or take or yeah. something like that. So, so there's going to be like casualties, obviously, but the winners are going to get like a very lucrative price. Yeah. Having all that money does not in any way guarantee success, right? In some ways, it can be a burden. You know, if you've taken a $500 million round, you feel like you got to use it. And people get very loose on where they spend money when they have that sort of money kicking around. Yeah, I agree. And one of the, again, that's part of the things that change. It might change now. I don't know if we're going to have time to evolve with the market. But one of the things that changed in, in the past two years with kind of that influx of, of money, of capital that went into these companies very early is in, in cyber specifically, like there always used to be a path to exit. Like that was part of the beauty of, of cyber startups. Like there's many acquirers because they kind of the traditional players, Palo Alto and, and, and uh, Semantic and then et cetera. There was always like a new category and they would acquire one of the startups to make sure that they kind of have filled that hole too in order to have like another you know product in, in their belt. Or just kind of the cloud vendors or the IBMs of the world or like even Oracle, like you know, Google you're seeing. So there are like many acquirers for these companies. But once you start playing that game, that kind of that all in poker game, when you, you're all, all in, like that acquisition becomes much more difficult because these companies raise at a huge valuation very early on. 
which kind of closes the window for, for acquisition. So I don't know if it goes back to that world, uh, but in the past year, like it was more difficult to, to get into that kind of acquisition path because they put some money. So I, I don't know uh, what, what the great signs are for exuberance, but uh, uh, one of the companies that you mentioned in the cloud space, I saw last week they were advertising for a swag manager, a full-time person to come on staff to manage the giving out of T-shirts and hats and bags. So I, it seemed to me that might have been uh, you know, a company with a lot of money on their hands, let's say. But, uh, <laughs> I can only imagine which one of, uh, of these it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it, it's crazy. Put it this way. But uh, what it does do is, is lead us into your third area, which is the great consolidation is a foot, right? So uh, I don't know what the right number is, and you may or may not know, I don't know, but the, I heard uh, recently that, uh, was it 5,600 security vendors right now in being tracked by various uh, kind of companies out there? Seems like a lot, but whatever the number is, it's a ton, right? And you just need to look at the space and go, how does anyone make any sense of how these companies are all different what's true and what's not true, where they should be buying stuff and where they should not be buying stuff. It's a challenge right now. And I, I'm guessing that CISOs and security teams are kind of throwing their arms up in the air a little bit saying, you know, we need to do better. Yeah, no, this is by far your touch. This is like the, the biggest problem or the major problem with, with cyber these days. And, and just, you know, I can see a show slides here, but we, we once showed our partners just to understand, like we kind of explained to them, you know, what we're dealing with cyber. And, and we just showed them like in our CRM, how many companies start with the word "sci"? And, and it was like you know, like more than uh, it was like about a hundred companies. They just start with the word you know, with "cy," you know, "cyactive," "cyber," "cybeat," "cyberbail," "cyber agents," "cyber armor," "cyber carrier," "cyber centric." There's like you know, I can go on forever. And just think about what the CISOs are going through when they see all these companies and obviously all the marketing and, and the websites and everything just look the same. For, for all of them, it, it, it's just very, very difficult in, in that sense. And it's difficult for both sides. It's difficult for the startup to kind of rise above the noise. That's kind of the number one problem for, for, for cyber companies. And by the way, part of the reason you, we kind of, what we touched before, these like mega rounds are just like the only reason they do these is just to kind of rise above the noise. So, you know, like they're kind of a legit company, you know, they don't need the money. They're, they're raising, they all have like, they're sitting on, on piles of cash and they just keep raising more money. So they're kind of, I know, they're on kind of, they're heard and known. And then obviously from the CISO perspective, it's just impossible. You just can't kind of diligence and you can kind of assess, you know, 50, 100 vendors for, for, for every small kind of cyber kind of piece that you need in, 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 in your security uh, suite. But having said that, like they don't have an option because the existing vendors, they're just not fast enough. And, and the cyber threats, the pace in which they're kind of, you know, you have a few threats and like API, cloud, developer, CI, CD, open source, and the, the pace that these threats are, are, are come out to life uh, and the pace of innovation and in both kind of in, in the hackers is such that the traditional vendors are just, you know, they're just, they're helpless in, in that sense. Hence the, the CISOs, they're, they're kind of, they're forced to work with many vendors and, and to, to work and, and have more. So even though they want to consolidate they need other solutions and other startups all the time and rely on them. But one of the areas that we really like, obviously people want to consolidate, but one of the problems is that you have like so many security solutions today, you just can't do anything with them. You don't know, you're, you know, you don't even know oftentimes what you have. 
you haven't configured them, you're not leveraging them completely. So one of the pieces that we really like is companies that either kind of touch all the other security tools or sit on top of the security tools and just help them become better. So I'll, I'll, I'll give you three examples. Think about like super tools. Like I have a company called Exonius, uh, which basically what they do, which is very smart, say, okay, you already have like a lot of security tools out there. We're going to connect you to all of them and your security and IT tools. And, and we're going to help kind of provide you full visibility into what's going on into your network and in your assets. But basically just by kind of consolidating the data that's already there in all these other tools. So for example, they connect to your CrowdStrike or your EPP and, and your CMDB and whatever you have for NAC and the network and whatever you use for cloud. And, and then you can start doing things like you can say like, what endpoints do I have that don't have the latest CrowdStrike version on them? So CrowdStrike would know where they're on. The network or, or whatever you have would know, what's, you know what laptops you have on the network. And by kind of combining both of them, you can suddenly do these things. So basically just take data that's already there, but everybody kind of looks at the world like in their own kind of prism, prism and kind of, uh, you know, that, you know, those look from the network, this one looks from the user, the Okta knows from the kind of the access. And by just by combining all of them, you suddenly have like one single pane of glass to manage your entire security suite. Or we have another company called Tor, which helps you basically kind of automate many of the processes or kind of mundane processes that you often do. But the beauty there, it's kind of a drag and drop interface, very easy. And they, again, they connect to all your security tools and Slack and then whatever you use for communication. And, and they allow you to kind of build workflows very easily. So for example, like if, if something jumps at proof point, like as suspicious, Slack, the user, ask them whether they know that person or not. And, you know, like if a yes, no button, if yes, then release. If no, you know, quarantine on, on you know, on CrowdStrike. And, and kind of like these kind of things, which historically, again, like they're using what you already have, but just helping you kind of automate, make it better. Same thing, by the way, another company we have is a company called Legit Security in the CI/CD pipeline. And there you also, you have like a bunch of tools today. You have your sneak and check marks and you have something that's kind of scanning for, 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 for uh, secrets in, in your, <clears throat> today in, 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 in your Git. But nobody knows how the pipeline looks like. Nobody knows whether, are you using sneak on your entire code base? Are you using check marks on your entire code base? Is everything that goes to production that they, they go through like all these things? And, and what they do is, again, they kind of get into your pipeline. They see all the tools that are used and they kind of help you get that visibility and management understanding of every is everything scanned, like all the code that goes to production scanned through by sneak. You know, did it go through like all the check marks that I need before push to production? Who has access? So, so all these things that like that's one of the investment pieces that I like most is like don't deploy another tool that solves another small problem. Just leverage what you have now, but it's make like all the existing tools better. Yeah, it's a uh, it's an interesting area. I remember uh, one of the things that. I've heard in the past is the idea that, you know, as a security team, it's not a matter of if you can protect yourself, right? There's literally, you know, 5,600 vendors to, to pick from. The question is, well, how do you do that? Given your resources, your your capital you can invest, your OPEX, things like that. And what you're saying is it's not just a consolidation in terms of traditional acquisition. It's, it's actually making the existing infrastructure, the existing tools more effective. And the team, I guess, more effective by having that wider view across tools, not just uh, 
Exactly. Kind of like the fabric of, across the tools. Because I don't think that, you know, I don't, you're not going to, nobody's going to be like a, just a Palo Alto shop right. or just, uh, uh, you know, uh, like it's just impossible these days. Like you are going to have a best of breed, but like the problem with the best of breed is yeah. they're all siloed. So if you kind of have become that glue and fabric between these different things, I think there's a lot of interesting opportunities there. Yeah, I think that uh, I like what you said earlier as well, which is, you know, traditional, let's call them traditional cyber companies, the bigger, older ones. You know, they do think in year or two year roadmaps. Um, the people that don't think in two year roadmaps are is the are the hackers, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they think in days and weeks. Exactly. <laughs> and the you know, yeah, Equifax, and then like suddenly like, all the open source is kind of hacked and everywhere. And like if if you're you know if you wait until Palo Alto releases something for open source vulnerabilities, like you know, you're yeah, doomed. exactly. Which is where where it's so important that this community of of very agile and, and very aggressive startups comes through because they have that role to play. Um, one of the, one of the thing that's uh, be, interesting in your view on this, I mean, is uh, in the same sort of vein, one of the categories that I think has promised a lot, but maybe hasn't quite delivered is around the MSSP space. You know, they have that promise of, we'll take care of a lot of this stuff for you. Uh, just outsource your liability and pay us for doing it and your OPEX and all the rest of it. It doesn't seem to have really kind of caught on, though, as a, as a big thing. I, I'm wondering if you agree with that. And, and secondly, you know, why is that? I, I, I think MSSPs, they're good for some things, obviously, but, but for others, there aren't. And, and again, it depends on like where you go in the market, like for enterprise or mid-market, et cetera. But, but I, I, I think, again, it's... They have the same problem, but just, you know, they see it like they, they also need to deal with like 500 vendors in order to secure your kind of uh, security or, or make like a full security suite for, for you. And if it's that not tied together, they, they don't have the expertise that, you know, they're not developing tools. They're just kind of procuring tools, configuring for you. And it's just very, very difficult because like the pace that you need to do these things is just becomes more and more difficult. So, so yes, it solves some problem for some organization. It's much better than doing in-house, et cetera. But the MSSPs are not going to be able to solve it. Like if, if some cyber company provides kind of the building blocks, which allow MSSP to kind of, you know, do like everything like without coding, like that would be interesting too, by the way. Uh, but like you need like some vendors going to be kind of MSSP first and to enable right. them to kind of provide that, yeah. what they need. All right. Well, anything else to you want to touch on before we wrap up? No, I think we're good. I'm going to put you on the spot here. Is there a saying, a sa- I don't know if a sales saying or a, or a business phrase that, that you hear from your portfolio companies that uh, that you wish could be dispatched into the far reaches of space, never to be heard again? I'll give you a quick example on the sales side. One is you know, asking prospects what's, what keeps them up at night. You know, very tired, very boring. You know, unimaginative phrase <laughs> or question. Anything like that springs to mind for you working with your companies? Uh, probably something around the competitor raising a unicorn round. <laughs> <laughs> so what is that? Would probably be it. Yeah. Is, is there jealousy involved, or what's the what's the? It, it's not jealousy. It's aggressiveness. Like they all want to be number one, and they're oh, all kind okay. of you know that's kind of what it is. I get it. Right. We should be doing the same. Is is the thing? Is that right? Yeah, exactly. They're raising, you know, you're going around. We have to raise fast, you know, like that kind of thing. Like, you know, yeah. If we could just calm down everyone a bit, uh, that would have uh, been great. That's good. Yeah. All right. Well, if anyone wants to get hold of you, uh, what's the best way to do that? Best way is my email, karp at bvp.com, carp at bvp.com. Awesome. Boy, Victor Paul. Excellent. Well, I really enjoyed the conversation this morning. I mean, uh, good to get to know you and hear your, hear your views on this, you know, incredibly complex and fast moving space. Yeah. Thanks for having me. 
It would mean a lot to me and to the continued growth of the show if you'd help get the word out. So how do you do that easily? There are two ways. Firstly, just simply send a link to a friend. Send a link to the show, to this episode. Um, you can email it, text it, Slack it, whatever works for you and is easy for you. The second way is to leave a super quick rating. And sometimes that can seem complicated, so I've made it as easy for you as I can. You simply have to go to ratethispodcast.com slash cyber. That's ratethispodcast.com slash cyber. And it explains exactly how to do it. Either of these ways will take you less than 30 seconds to do, and it will mean the world to me. So thank you.